welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This episode is being recorded on Wednesday, April 22nd of 2020, and it corresponds with our newsletter episode number 129 of Search News You Can Use, which you can find at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. I have to start off being very Canadian here with an apology. Um, the sound is probably not going to be as good as you're used to with podcast. I've just spent the last hour and a half wrestling with my mic and for some reason I cannot get it to work and so if you hear the frustration in my voice this is one of the least favorite things to do in my life is wrestle with technology um so hopefully by next week we get this sorted out I think I've I've rebooted my computer a million times I've uh, checked every USB port and uh, installed drivers and everything else. So we finally just said, look, we've got to move on and record this with uh, maybe not the optimal re- equipment. But the point is, you'll still get the SEO news this week. So hopefully you can bear with me uh, as we deal with the, the quality issues. Um, I'm happy to report that we don't think that Google ran any significant updates over the last week. Um, there was uh, Barry Schwartz wrote something about a possible update on April 16th which was Thursday of last week. Uh, We had a few clients that saw changes that day. We had more clients that saw changes maybe April 13th, a few days before that. But it wasn't enough that we would say, oh, yeah, yeah, it looks like there was a significant change made to Google's algorithms. Um, It's certainly possible, and we'll keep an eye on that. But at this point, we feel like uh, you know, anything that Google has changes changed is just the normal sort of day-to-day updates that they make and nothing um, significant. I did talk in newsletter, though, and I, I believe I've mentioned this in past podcasts, but I may not have, uh, that um, Google uh, has this document on how they fight disinformation. And we noticed that there's a line in that document. Actually, somebody named Rene pointed it out to me, and I was amazed I hadn't seen it before, uh, that the document actually says to reduce the visibility of this type of content, and they're talking about potentially harmful content, we have designed our systems to prefer authority over factors like recency or exact word matches while a crisis is developing. Uh, and we think that Google did this. Uh, I, If I had to guess, uh, I don't know if they turned a, a switch on, but if I had to guess, I would say it was March 23rd. That was a day that we felt there was a lot of turbulence in Google's results that uh, didn't really correspond to um, what was going on in the world. Uh, But we're not 100% sure on that. So why does this matter? It matters if you're trying to rank for YMYL topics, for your money or your life topics. We do think that some topics became YMYL in the wake of this virus. Um, A good example would be masks. Uh, In the past, if you were doing a search for masks, you'd probably see things like Halloween masks or uh, face masks in terms of like makeup or stuff like that. Um, And now, of course, when you're searching for masks, the vast majority of people are looking for something to help protect them against coronavirus. And that is definitely a life situation. So it falls into the your money or your life category. And it means that Google is going to prefer sites that have authority over sites that maybe are smaller in this situation. 
what we think is that eventually uh, the world will get back to some sort of state of normalcy and Google will probably make it so that it's a little bit more relaxed in who they rank for YMYL queries, but we don't have any proof for that. Um, I mean, we don't know to start with whether this is happening, but if you've lost rankings for queries that could be concerned, considered YMYL, I, I would be interesting to look at the search results and see, is it the sites that are beating you? Are they sites that that really would be seen as having authority, especially in terms of medicine. Uh, if that's the case, there's not a whole lot you can do to fight that at this point. Um, I think you still can work on producing content that's potentially better than what's currently ranking. We do believe that Google uses BERT now in order to determine which content is the best of its kind. And we have seen the odd little case where, you know, a piece of content will just shine and we look at it and go, why is this content ranking? And it's truly the best of its kind. Um, but uh, in a lot of cases, it could be challenging to improve rankings if you're fighting against somebody who's known as an authority in your area. Uh, this was good news for a lot of businesses. Google Shopping is now going to be free for all merchants. Um, I don't know a whole lot about Google Shopping, uh, but what I do know now is that products listed on Google Shopping will mostly be free listings. Uh, so if you're an advertiser, now's the time to augment your campaigns for free listings. If you're a store owner, um, you might have more traffic from Google Shopping. So if this is something that seems like it's important to you, there's a lot more details. We've linked to some stuff in our newsletter uh, that you can find more information on that. I heard a few rumors uh, today that maybe last night, so that would have been Tuesday, April 21st, Google had some issues with indexing new content. This has happened a few times in the last couple of years. It sounds like whatever happened last night was minor. Um, I don't think it's something that we'll even add to our algo update list, but uh, it could be something that continues. So I tweeted that, um, according to Barry Schwartz, it appears that this issue has been resolved. And then I did have people tweeting back at me saying they were still having problems getting content indexed. Now, uh, this is tricky because we don't know whether uh, there's a problem on Google's side. I don't believe they've admitted it this time. They have in the past. Or we don't know whether Google is just changing the type of content that they want to index. Um, we've talked about this before, but uh, Google, I think, is getting much better at recognizing low quality content when they come across it. And now I realize uh, a lot of you who are listening to this, you know, you'll see, oh, maybe my content is not getting indexed. And how dare you call it low quality? Uh, I'm not saying that your content is necessarily low quality. But it is something you should consider. And sometimes it's hard to recognize your own low quality content. So one thing I would recommend is to ask somebody who's not closely connected to you or to your business to look at uh, one of your pages that's ranking or that you want to rank and the pages that are currently ranking and ask people, you know, is there a good reason for my content to be outranking theirs? And if there's not, then you'll probably find that uh, it's not going to rank well. Um, you may even find that Google doesn't index it if they can recognize right off the bat that uh, there is a problem here, uh, that your content is lower quality. So something to consider if you're having trouble getting content indexed. Um, let's see here. Apparently, we are seeing more... Um, featured snippets that contain YouTube videos now. So if you're struggling to win a featured snippet, it might be something where you could consider creating a YouTube video. That's something that I really want to do for the future is 
you know, spend more time creating video content. It, it does so well and people love to engage with it. And it's not really that challenging. I mean, I would love to have a professional studio and create, you know, much more professional, high quality videos. Um, but you can do just as well, uh, maybe not just as well, but you can do really well with even just low quality videos uh, at this point. So it's something that we'd like to do. There's just so many things on uh, our list of tasks of things that we could do that it's probably not going to happen anytime soon that we expand on that. But this could be something that is interesting for you. Uh, featured snippets, and I'm going to talk in a second about Moz's experiment on featured snippets, but featured snippets are something that you generally tend to get more traffic if you win the featured snippet. And if you can win it with a YouTube video, in some cases, that could potentially bring you more business. So let's talk about this Moz experiment. I love when Cyrus Shepard writes about experiments that he does uh, because he knows how to run a good experiment. Years ago, Cyrus ran a, a famous experiment where he disavowed his entire site um, and uh, disavowed every link to his entire site and saw a significant drop in traffic. And he was never able to regain that traffic. It's quite an interesting story. Um, not good for Cyrus, but I think he uh, he he was okay with it. Um, you know, he it was his personal blog. It's not something that apparently made him. Uh, very much money. So uh, it was a very interesting experiment. In this one, they actually ran a study to see whether Moz did better with featured snippets or without. Now, it seems like it would be a no-brainer to say, well, yeah, of course you want the featured snippet. But there are a lot of people who say, well, look, if I have the featured snippet, often I've given the whole answer to the searcher and they're not going to click on the result to come to my website. And so there's a lot of people that would prefer to have the second organic listing as opposed to what we're now calling the first organic listing, the featured snippet. Um, so in this study, what they did was they used the no snippet tag. And this is something that you can, uh, it's just like another meta tag, just similar to a meta keywords or a meta description tag that you put in your HTML. And it basically tells Google and now Bing, apparently, too, that they should not use information from your website in the form of a snippet. Uh, and this will make it so that you are not eligible for featured snippets. And so what they saw was that it very quickly was honored by Google. And they saw uh, all of the pages that they added the no snippet tag to drop out of ranking for featured snippets. They still ranked for organic search. And what they saw was an average drop in traffic of 12%. Um, and they have a whole bunch of statistical data that shows that this is a, they did, they did a large enough number of pages that this is statistically significant. So in Moz's case, removing featured snippets resulted in a 12% drop in traffic. The part that I thought was interesting was what happened after they re they removed the no snippet tag. So they went back and took the no snippet tags out and they assumed that everything that was ranking in a featured snippet would return to ranking. Uh, but in reality, that didn't happen. Now, they didn't say how many featured snippets returned, but they did say that a portion of those that they expected to return did not. So what I took from that is we need to be really careful about uh, using a no snippet tag. I don't recall if I saw this in the article or not, but 
um, something to know is that if you use the no snippet tag, it also removes your snippets in other places. So not just where you appear as a featured snippet, but also uh, just your regular, what you would see as like your meta description that usually gets used as a snippet by Google. Um, so that could have an impact on this as well. But in general, you really don't, I can't see too many situations where you'd want to not have the featured snippet. Um, and in reality, like if you, you know, you could say, well, people are going to get their answer from the featured snippet and they're not going to click to my website. But if you remove yourself from that featured snippet, that your competitor is going to give them the answer. Um, and either way, it's not like you're going to get more business, more clicks by still having by removing the featured snippet. So a uh, very cool experiment, though, and I'm, I'm happy that uh, Moz and Cyrus ran this. Um, this was an interesting question given to John Mueller on Twitter about hreflang. Uh, the question was, let's see here, if there are a few errors in the hreflang setup of a website, would Google disregard the entire code? For example, if a domain targets 140 regions and 10 of its hreflang attributes are incorrect, will all other values um, be not considered? So John said, no, this is not the case. hreflang is kept on a per pair basis. So if some pairs aren't useful, he says, the rest can still work. Um, he also added that 140 regions is almost certainly way too much. Uh, so uh, he said, I'd recommend limiting yourself to the number of regions you have unique human written high quality content for saying less is more. Uh, I think this is important because I've seen this before. I've actually seen uh, SEOs talk about this, that if you break your hreflang in one place, uh, that none of your hreflang will work. And, and I don't think that that's the case. Uh, there's some more tips that we've included in, in newsletter on uh, proper hreflang implementation. So uh, hopefully you can get some value out of that. Another question that was asked from John in uh, uh, on Twitter was about 404 pages. So the question was whether Googlebot will follow links from a 404 page. So let's say uh, you have a 404 page on your site, uh, meaning that the page returns a 404 status, which means page not found. So if somebody comes to your site and types in yoursite.com slash a bunch of gibberish, they're going to get this 404 page that returns a 404 status code. Um, Let's say you have links on that page. So you have links saying, here's our homepage. You should have links on your 404 page, by the way. Google's documentation on how to do good SEO, I believe it's in there, talks about the value of having a good 404 page. And uh, Google recommends that you put links to your most popular content or content that's most likely to help people and even a search function so that if somebody ends up on your 404 page, they can search for the part of your site that maybe they were intending to go to in the first place. Um, so John said that if uh, Google encounters a 404, they ignore and drop all of the contents of the page. They don't process JavaScript. Uh, they don't look at the robots meta tags. They don't follow links or anything like that. Um, now, Eamon Johns actually chimed in and said it, it's worth noting that some people do their 404 pages wrong. Um, and the 404 will actually return like a 301 or uh, something that is not supposed to be returned. Uh, and if that happens, then Google actually will see the links on your 404 page. He's not recommending, I don't think, that you would do that. Um, but it's if you're thinking, well, no, no, Google's crawling the links on my 404 page, it might be that it's not actually returning a 404. 
Um, let's talk about, oh, there was some discussion this week about manual actions, something dear to my heart. Um, and the question was, uh, somebody got a manual action, but didn't get any example links. So the example links are, uh, let's say I have an action for unnatural links and Google may tell me here are three examples of links that we consider unnatural. Uh, and there's a lot of confusion about these links because sometimes what will happen is Google will give us a link and it's in our disavow file. Um, that hasn't happened to us recently, but it has happened in the past. And what do you do with that? Do you say, well, OK, Google's obviously made a mistake here. And the answer is no. So let's say they gave us a link as an example of an unnatural link. And it was one that I had disavowed. And that link just happened to be a low quality resource page um, because maybe I had gone out and done that as a link building tactic and found a way to scale up link building via thousands of resource pages. Um, and the one that Google gave me and is an example uh, is one that we've disavowed. That usually means that there are many others of that type, which we have not disavowed. Uh, and so it's a hint as to what else you could look at in order to get the manual action removed. Now, um, the question here was, why are some people not getting example links when they first get their manual action? And as far as I can recall, that doesn't usually happen. Um, now, granted, we tend to see manual actions once they've already been through uh, a few requests or a, a couple of different SEO agencies that have struggled with them. Um, and so we get the really hard cases that come to us and uh, uh, just absolutely can't get these manual actions lifted. Um, we've got a couple right now that we're really struggling with, but we always do succeed in the end. Uh, it just sometimes can take us a while to figure out exactly what it is that Google is um, is working on. Uh, so you probably don't get example links given every single time that you get a manual action. It doesn't mean that Google's messed up. Uh, I think this is just how their system works. Um, we, I had a client ask me just this week whether Google was slower in responding to manual actions because of COVID-19. And, uh, you know, Google hasn't said anything, as far as I'm aware, about uh, taking longer to respond to manual actions or to reconsideration requests. But uh, with that said, it's been a few weeks since we had any responses from Google. Um, that sometimes can be normal. Sometimes, my opinion is, if it takes longer to hear back from Google, it means one of two things. One, either you've been uh, trying to get away with stuff. And what I mean by that is, Let's say you have like 10,000 different uh, domains that are linking to you unnaturally and you decide to disavow 100 of them. And then next reconsideration request, you add in a few more and maybe just a few more the next one. Um, and if Google realizes like you're just trying to test them and wasting their time, they can sometimes go longer and longer in between requests. Uh, but the other reason for them to take longer is that uh, sometimes they need to do more review. Uh, and so, I, again, this is theory. I don't have proof for this, but I believe that um, the review process probably goes through a couple of levels. And so when you apply for reconsideration, if it's super obvious uh, on first view of this reconsideration request that the problems are not fixed, that uh, there are still issues there, then you'll hear back from Google very quickly. Uh, and then in cases where you're getting really close and uh, maybe you have dealt with the vast majority of unnatural links, then they spend more time on it and uh, it can sometimes take longer. So, uh, so if you're waiting 
to hear back from Google, it's certainly possible that they're delayed because of coronavirus, uh, but it could also mean that uh, maybe they're looking further and doing more investigation into whether you've really cleaned up your, your issues that were causing the manual action. Um, we've got some really interesting stuff in newsletter about how BingBot works. I find this really interesting. Uh, apparently, BingBot, when they crawl, they'll pre-filter the content, meaning that content that has the potential to be spammy doesn't make it to the index. That's kind of what Google, we, we, we were saying, is doing, uh, although I don't know that Google has officially put out... Um, any sort of announcement on that. I know we had a tweet from Gary Ish that was sort of kind of half sarcastic. Uh, I know very unusual for Gary, uh, just that said like, Ooh, here's webmasters reactions when we're no longer indexing spammy content, um, or low quality content, I think is what he said. Uh, but this was interesting to hear from Bing themselves that they actually do this. Now, last time I checked, um, Google, Google tends to do a better job than Bing at filtering out spam. Uh, that used to be one of the ways that I would actually determine whether uh, you had a Lynx issue or Penguin issue in Google. I don't, I don't do this so much now because Penguin has changed dramatically. But if you had been involved in heavy-duty link building and all of a sudden your rankings dropped in Google... Um, but they, but those pages were still ranking really well on Bing, then uh, often we could say, well, look, this is probably connected to link quality, most likely Penguin, because Bing didn't have Penguin. Uh, and so those unnatural links were actually helping in Bing's eyes. I think Bing probably has gone a long way in uh, working on uh, making it so that unnatural links are less likely to help spam or low quality pages rank, uh, but it's something to keep in mind. Um, let's see, we have more here from uh, a tweet from Glenn Gabe, who was quoting John Mueller in a help hangout about pure spam penalties. And John had hinted that if you get a, um, uh, if you buy a new domain and it has a pure spam penalty on it, you really should have done some research into that domain, first of all. Now, that's tough, right? Because you can't, you can't see whether that uh, domain is carrying a manual action unless you have access to Search Console. Now, if you're buying a domain from somebody who still owns it and uh, you know has access to Search Console, that's probably part of your due diligence that you look and see. Are there any manual actions? Are there any significant drops in traffic that line up with Google updates? Um, it, you know, Just to see, like, are we buying something that potentially has some risk with it? But if you're buying a domain uh, off of you know, uh, I use Namecheap for my domains. Um, I'll buy a domain. What did I buy the other day? Oh, yeah, I bought uh, FortniteFam.com. My girls and I are going to do a little, uh, we might do a little newsletter for Fortnite. I'm not sure what we're going to do. But let's say somebody had used that for spam in the past. I didn't do a whole bunch of research into, you know, whether it had been used. I didn't even look up whether it had any links pointing to it. But that's something that I would recommend doing if you're going to use a domain for something important. Um, a pure spam penalty is pretty easy to get rid of if you happen to buy a new domain and it comes with this pure spam penalty. Most cases, you can just write a reconsideration request and say, hey, I just bought this domain. This is what I want to use it for. Can you please remove the manual action? And they do. 
The problem, though, is that a lot of the time when a domain has been used for spam, uh, it also has unnatural links pointing at it. And so uh, as a new domain owner, you may want to go in and disavow uh, some of those unnatural links because they have the potential maybe to hurt you in the future. Um, so we don't you know, we've been seeing more and more requests for help with pure spam penalties. In most cases, when you get one of those, it really is a spammy site. Uh, you know, I've recovered some, but the vast majority of them, um, they're not worth putting money into into recovering them. Uh, let's see here. Oh, there's been some discussion as to whether Google should delay mobile first indexing because of what the world is going through right now with coronavirus. Um, I'm uh, sort of mixed on this? Uh, you know, I think probably no. Uh, Google's given us tons of warning about this. Uh, by September of 2020, they plan to move 100% of sites over to mobile-first indexing. And if you're not ready, so if you have different a different version of your mobile site than your desktop site, or your links are different, and you've got content on desktop that's not visible on mobile, you're going to have a hard time once you've been moved to mobile-first indexing. And so I guess the idea is that while businesses are struggling in the midst of this uh, pandemic, that, um, you know, why throw another thing at them that they've got to work on? But the thing is, this has been out there for, uh, I want to say, a couple of years now. So uh, I believe John Mueller was open to suggestions. Uh, there was a tweet um, that uh, we've included in newsletter that said, hey, uh, like I'm open to hearing some thoughts on this. And from what I could see, most of the people who replied said they didn't think that Google should hold off on um, that deadline. So that's probably still going to be happening. I thought it was interesting that Shopify, uh, let's see, there was a tweet here by Lorenzo Green, who said that the CTO of Shopify just shared a chart showing that their platform is now handling Black Friday levels of traffic every single day. Uh, the world is moving online. And I, I know, I mean, so many things are different as we're working from home, as we're, uh, you know, social distancing, we're not traveling, we're, uh, so many things have, have changed. I think a lot of the stuff is is going to stay. You know, I, I think a lot of people will shift their buying habits to buying online where maybe before they didn't. Uh, and that's good news for us as SEOs. I think if we can weather through this storm, um, the businesses that survive through COVID-19 are probably going to be uh, thriving once uh, the level of um, uh, demand comes back. So I thought that was really interesting, um, interesting news from Shopify. I'm going to skip over some of this and leave it for newsletter. Uh, my staff wrote some stuff in the newsletter about uh, Tiger King, and apparently uh, they're really good at SEO. Uh, Tiger King is one of those things. It's on my list of, like, I should probably watch that. But I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like the type of thing I normally would watch. But apparently there's good stuff about how they have marketed themselves or something. I'm going to stop talking on this topic because I don't know much about it. But I think you'll find that part of newsletter quite interesting. There's not a lot to report in terms of local news this week, which is actually a good thing. Um, let's see. We're seeing that some Google My Business reviews are coming back. Um, most uh, of the ones that they're seeing coming back are in the restaurant and shopping categories. So um, if you're still, if you're wondering why you're not seeing any new Google reviews on your Google My Business profile, it's because uh, it looks like Google has put a hold on those. And again, uh, it's probably 
to stop people from leaving a bad review because they couldn't access your store because it was closed uh, due to social distancing. Um, that shouldn't, you know, cause people to have a, a negative review. So um, let's see. What else can we talk about? Oh, I thought this was kind of cool. Google My Business has a marketing kit that you can get now. I believe it's for free. I'm I'm actually not sure about this, um, but there's a really cool thing where you can print out a poster that uh, has um, your reviews on it. And so one of the examples is a review that says the staff is beyond amazing and extremely knowledgeable. And it's printed out in the form of a poster that you can display in your business. So if you've had really cool reviews on Google My Business, that might be something that's kind of cool to display in your uh, office as well. I mean when people can come to your office in the future. Uh, we've got some interesting stuff in newsletter about using Google Trends for marketers, uh, also using Google Tag Manager to track anchor text of incoming links, which looks really, really interesting. And I think what we'll do is uh, I'm gonna finish off here with one Q&A question. If you wanna ask me a question, uh, for me to answer on podcast, you can go to any episode of newsletter and there's near the beginning of the episode, there's a section where you can uh, fill out a form to ask a question. I, I know the most about EAT and links. Um, that's my sort of area of uh, expertise, but um, feel free to ask me anything else. And if I don't know the answer, I'll either research it for you or I'll put you in touch with somebody who does, <laughs> probably, uh, assuming it's a good question. Here's an interesting question from Martin. Um, Dear Marie, niche sites versus comprehensive sites. Do you think that there is currently a preference from Google in ranking a niche site, for example, about orchids, than a more comprehensive site, for example, one about gardening, that can include orchids as a category? So the question is, if Google would prefer the latter because it's more comprehensive and it would look more authoritative to them? I think the answer on this depends on a few things. Number one, where do you have EAT? Now, orchids versus gardening... Uh, it's debatable. I mean, can you have EAT just for orchids? And maybe even this is not, I don't even know if orchids would be considered your money or your life. I mean, people could spend money on buying orchids, uh, but this might be a slightly different topic. Um, that said, let's assume you're talking about a topic that has um, financial impact because, I mean, why would you want to create a website if it was not for making money? Uh, there can be other reasons, but for most people, if you're creating a website, it's because you want to rank it and either make ad revenue or somehow make money from this website. So if you could be known as like a really good expert who knows absolutely everything there is about orchids, and you have enough content that you could produce best of its kind content about orchids, that's where I'd start out. When I started out in SEO, um, I was known as the person who does penalty work, maybe a little bit of penguin work, you know, and that was my, my focus. And I really feel like that um, allowed me to grow into a bigger business today because I didn't try to cover absolutely everything in SEO. Now, if you fast forward to today, you know, we, we talk about a lot of topics. We ha our newsletter covers pretty much everything that, uh, that we can find in, in terms of SEO. But starting out, if we had just decided to do, hey, here's a blog about everything about SEO and nobody knows who we are, then it's probably not going to perform well. So what I would urge you to do is look at two things. One is 
can you develop EAT or do you already have EAT in this area? Um, and also, is there search volume? Oh, and then the third thing to look at is what's already out there in terms of competition. So let's say you're trying to decide, like, I want to do a gardening website about everything gardening. Um, let's see here. I'm actually going to do a search while we're talking about this and, and, and just see. I haven't looked at this before. But if I do a search right now on Google U.S. for gardening, the first uh, organic site that comes up is miracle Grow, Very well known, very authoritative. The second is Gardeners.com. Um, the third is Better Homes and Gardens. And the fourth is Almanac.com. Um, I think it's very unlikely that you can create a website all about gardening that will be better or seen as higher authority than any of those websites. Okay? I don't think that that would be a good thing for you to tackle. And so I'm assuming your topic probably isn't about gardening, but if you're trying to determine on a, a very broad topic, um, look at who's currently ranking and go, uh, could I one day be seen as authoritative as this website? Now, if you're competing against a massive television network, uh, a massive company with billions of dollars of revenue, uh, it's a, I mean, it's possible. New companies get born. New companies can make money, but you're probably not going to rank well. Um, now, when I do a search for orchids, again, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's some really well-known sites that are ranking well, but there are other ones. There's, uh, I don't know what orchidweb.com is. It doesn't look like it's, you know, the my apologies if this is your website. It doesn't look like the, the best of its kind. Um, but there are some smaller brands in there. Um, so that can sort of give you an idea as to whether it would be possible to rank a website for that type of niche topic. So if I had to choose, I would choose the smallest niche uh, that I could, that I still feel I could produce content on on a regular basis. So let's say there was only one type of orchid in the world and, you know, there's only so much you can write about that orchid. Maybe that's not the best topic, but really you could be creating so much content about orchids that would help people. And you can have guides as to what to do when your orchid looks like this, when it gets this kind of spot, when it didn't flower this year, uh, things like that. Like I, I, I do think that that's possible. I think that if you were going to create a website all about gardening, it would be much more challenging to rank. Uh, and some of that just comes from, I think you could develop EAT as an ORCID website. You could get quoted in a number of authoritative places. And if Google can see that, oh, the 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 graph of links across the web is showing that sometimes when people talk about ORCIDs, they mention your website well, then you can start to rank well, okay? And I'm not talking about artificially creating links like, ooh, there's this gardener's directory and I'll link to my orchid site. Google's getting pretty good at figuring out when people are truly legitimately recognizing and recommending your content. Uh, and that's what you should be aiming for. Can you produce content that you can get other people to recommend you for? Um, and it, it, you could sort of compare this. I mentioned earlier that 
my kids and I might be creating a, a website about Fortnite. And that's something where there are already a lot of websites out there about Fortnite. Uh, and so for me to do that um, in a way, I, like I wouldn't create a website all about video games. That's way too broad. And I do not have any expertise in uh, the vast majority of video games that are out there. Um, in terms of Fortnite, though, I think I can develop uh, some sort of a authority is the wrong word recognition as a mom who plays Fortnite and has family friendly content. Uh, and I don't know if we're going to go ahead with that, but I think you see, hopefully you see the point that I'm trying to make here is that you need to develop a website in an area where you can be seen as some sort of an expert in that area. I don't ever plan to go pro or, um, you know, I don't think I'm going to be known as like worldwide as a Fortnite player. Uh, but I do think that there are areas where I could add content that's not currently being written about that would be interesting to people. So uh, hopefully that answer was helpful for you. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Again, my apologies if the sound is not quite at the level that uh, we're, we're used to producing. Um, we, uh, If you're interested, I did do a webinar yesterday with SEMrush. They did four hours of EAT, and uh, I believe I was hour number two talking about uh, author EAT and uh, a lot of stuff about improving the trustworthiness of your content itself. And if you're interested in that, we have a link to that in newsletter, but you can also find it on semrush.com as well. So I hope you're faring okay in these uh, difficult times. Um, and uh, uh, I look forward to chatting with you guys on Twitter and really, really wish you the best of luck with your rankings this week. Mm -hmm.